homosexuals with CBS News correspondent Mike Wallace. Homosexuality is an enigma. Even in this era of bold sexual mores, it remains a subject that people find disturbing, embarrassing, and the reluctance to discuss it. Yet there is a growing concern about homosexuals in society, about their increasing visibility. We discovered that Americans consider homosexuality more harmful to society than adultery, abortion, or prostitution. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, Converts Edition. Right up front, I need to offer a content warning for sexual orientation-based violence, mental illness, and medical abuse. You know, as long as there's been homosexuality, there have been people who've been trying to uh, eradicate it. That's Tom Wadezunas, a professor of history at Temple University and the author of The Straight Line, How the Fringe Science of Ex-Gay Therapy Reoriented Sexuality. For much of human history, cures for homosexuality were the province of religious leaders. You went to religion to cure most things. But as we in the Western world turned more and more to doctors and other experts for our physical and mental health in general, those doctors turned to the tools of their trade, a.k.a. science, to address the problem of homosexuality. And that's the story we want to tell today. There is a long and interesting and, frankly, disturbing story about the role of religion in both the advocacy and practice of conversion therapy. But when I went reading around on this topic, what I realized is that I know a lot of that story. What I had no idea about was the continued role of science and licensed therapists in what is now called sexual orientation change efforts. First, Let's rewind and remember what the so-called science of conversion therapy used to look like. And I just want to repeat the content warning here for medical abuse. Skip ahead if you have any reservations at all. Well, it was once mainstream science. I mean, homosexuality was uh, written as a mental illness. It was coded as a mental illness into the very first uh, diagnostic and statistical manuals of um, mental disorders in the field of psychiatry. Uh, you know, it's been um, uh, it's been considered a mental illness for it was considered a mental illness for a long time until uh, the early 70s when uh, it was removed from the DSM. There were a lot of different theories about what to do about it. Well, there have been different, many different ones. As, you know, as there have been different schools of psychology and psychiatry, each one of them had their own historic uh, uh, diagnosis, etiology, you know, understanding of the cause of homosexuality, and their own therapeutic approach uh, to what they deem to be an illness. So, um, you know, there's been a psycho, there was a psychoanalytic uh, framework, uh, the, a certain strain of psychoanalysis in the United States that was very uh, predominant for a while, uh, you know, which involved um, kind of talk therapy to get people to address certain issues in their childhood that would then allow the, the, the natural heterosexuality to flow through, allegedly. And some of the approaches were very literal. And then um, there's behaviorist therapist's approach. Uh, these are the folks who um, were known for aversion therapy, um, 
where people would be uh, presented with erotic imagery, uh, same-sex erotic imagery, and they would be uh, uh, ex- simultaneously exposed to uh, electric shocks or noxious chemical odors, things like this, to distinguish, uh, extinguish the homo- homosexual arousal. Very, very literal. There, there was this belief that you know, if you took the testicles from a heterosexual man and grafted them onto a homosexual man, that then he would become uh, heterosexual. You might have noticed that the descriptions of those who are being treated here seems to default to male patients. And it's true. For entirely sexist reasons, conversion therapy advocates have largely, well, until pretty recently, left women alone. Because for a long time, the men who were doing the conversion therapy didn't really think of women as even having sexual desires. I mean, the idea of two women desiring each other probably seemed, if not incredible, then just statistically unlikely. As long as societies have tried to marginalize queer people, there have been those trying to push back against that oppression. And by World War II, there were quiet but influential protests against the idea that homosexuality was itself a mental illness. World War II and and 50s, there's always been... Uh, a movement of people who were trying to redefine that reality, you know, trying to say um, that homosexuality is not a mental illness, you know, going way back. Um, There's a psychologist, Evelyn Hooker, who was at University of California, Los Angeles, who um, put together some of the earliest research with what was then called the homophile movement in the fifties to, to prove that one could be, homosexual, with a homosexual identity, and not mentally ill. And it just took a long time for that group to, to ultimately win, and, um, uh, and then homosexuality was removed from the list of mental illnesses. And this is the part of the story I thought I knew. In 1973, after a lot of vocal protest by gay rights groups, the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality as a mental illness from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's no longer officially something wrong with people, and that's great. It's a huge victory, beginning of a huge shift. Except it wasn't a clean break. Not at all. The removal came after a vote was forced by those who opposed it, and the vote wasn't exactly overwhelmingly in favor. It was 56% in favor of the removal and 37% opposed. And those who opposed it didn't take the loss very well. One of those people who made a lot of noise was this guy, Charles Socarides. Here he is talking to Morley Schaefer in 1973, pretty soon after that big vote. We feel that homosexuality is probably caused by undue amounts of fears in the very early age, which, do, which uh, finally culminate in a developmental arrest of a child at a particular stage. It's important to remember, I think, that the men, and they were mostly men, who argued in favor of reparative therapy, believed that science was on their side. And of course they believed that, because for so long, science was on their side. But this now rogue group, they eventually formed their own rival professional organization, actually, made persistent efforts to re-legitimize their work. 
They were hampered mostly by the fact that it was no longer clear that homosexuality needed to be cured for the happiness of the client. Lots of people were coming out, and they seemed to be pretty happy. Instead, this group took another tack. If they couldn't prove that becoming straight was necessary, could they at least prove that it was possible? Could they at least continue to practice, provided that their clients wanted to convert? So they did studies. One big study came out in 2000, really not not that long ago. It supposedly showed that those who underwent reorientation therapy did indeed wind up straight, or so they said. The study was based on self-reporting, which is, for obvious reasons, a flawed methodology. Kind of hilariously, some mainstream critics came back to the pro-conversion crowd, suggesting that the study was interesting and all, but could they give them some physiological proof that these people are no longer attracted to the same sex and are, in fact, aroused by the opposite sex? Now, how would one do this? I'll bring back Tom to explain. A, a, a strain gauge is put on a subject's penis while that person watches erotic imagery. And what they've always found in these aversion therapy tests is that you can extinguish homosexual desire with electric shocks, you know, but not, uh, you can never induce heterosexual desire. And that was evidence that was used you know, to some extent in that 1973 decision, but again, later, by um, the reassertion of the marginality of of conversion therapy treatments, even into the uh, uh, 2009 American Psychological Association Task Force Statement. Uh, So this idea that this is the true measure of sexuality. It's interesting because it, it, it inevitably takes this conversation about everyone's sexual orientation to male sexual orientation, specifically male with men with penises sexual orientation. And, uh, uh, and that slippage happens a lot on all sides of this discussion. Uh-huh. Slippage. With Friends Like These is brought to you by the New York Times' Nice White Parents. In the podcast, Nice White Parents, reporter Chana Jaffe-Walt, who you may know from This American Life, started looking into one school in her neighborhood after her kids became school age in New York City. Chana examines this public middle school traditionally filled with black and brown students after a number of white families arrive. And then, not satisfied she fully understood what she was seeing, she went all the way back to the founding of the school in the 1960s and then up to present day again. Eventually, Chana realized she could put a name to what was getting in the way of making the school better. White parents. Nice White Parents is a fascinating listen that is deeply relevant today. It's made by Serial Productions, a New York Times company, the same people who made the hit podcast Serial and S-Town. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, and new episodes are released every Thursday. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Magic Spoon Cereal. I do not eat Magic Spoon for breakfast. I generally don't eat breakfast, which is another story. Magic Spoon is my treat. I eat it for dessert. I eat it in the middle of the night when I can't sleep because I'm thinking about Trump refusing to concede the election. And while one should generally not eat in the middle of the night, Magic Spoon is the way to go if you do because it doesn't have any of the stuff that will keep you up afterwards. It has zero sugar and only three grams of carbs. It does have 11 grams of protein. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. There are four flavors— 
cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. And fortunately, my husband and I like different flavors. I like the cocoa and frosted. He likes the fruity stuff. Go to magicspoon.com slash WFLT to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use that promo code WFLT at checkout and you will get free shipping. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash WFLT and use code WFLT for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. When I was looking into this history, the persistence of the professional therapists in trying to prove what they were doing was real and true kind of floored me. Isn't part of science accepting new information, new hypotheses? And then I remembered what this season is about. People don't want to change their minds. I think you can view the resistance of the pro-conversion folks as itself a kind of refusal to convert, a refusal to change their minds. Proof that forcibly trying to convert people is futile. People like Socarides had been practicing this therapy for decades. It had made him famous. His identity was the guy who believes we can and should cure homosexuality. This identification was so strong, so potent, that it withstood one of the strongest appeals an evangelist can make to a potential convert. Won't you change your mind for the sake of our relationship? In this case, the evangelist was Charles's son, former Clinton administration official Richard Socrates, who came out as gay to his father when he was in law school in the 80s. Charles, like so many of us who have deep disagreements with those we love, chose to accept his son, but didn't change his mind. And like so many of us who have deep disagreements with the ones we love, it turns out that refusing to change your mind will always get a little bit in the way of true acceptance. When people um, uh, ask me about my dad, is, uh, right, what, what's the first thing they say? They say, you know, did he ever try to cure you? And it's like an obvious question. Um, uh, and the answer is no. I mean, it just, it literally never came up. He never once said to me, uh, you know, I have an idea, I have this theory, and we can get you some help for this. You no, know, it's quite sad because we, as, you know, as a kid, I had a relationship with him that was terrific. There's a lot of warmth and affection between the two of us. And, uh, and we were never really able to, well, we never came close to rebuilding that. Time for a brief respite from history and a dive into commerce. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Fab Fit Fun. Fab Fit Fun's fall box, say that fast three times, can be customized in 189,000 different ways. That's how many different options there are. And I will be honest, I have been a subscriber to Fab Fit Fun for a few years now. A subscription was given to me by my mother in law, and I liked it enough to keep it going. Now, why do I like it? Two main reasons. I get to try out two different kinds of products that I wouldn't normally buy. Really expensive stuff and stuff that's like really, really, really on trend. 
I am conservative in my fashion choices. I tend to buy the same thing over and over and over. So it's fun for me, and it pushes me to get a chance to rock, as comes in the fall box, a mini backpack, or to try out poor refining serum that is more expensive than the mini backpack. I liked both, by the way. Now, I admit I don't like everything that comes in every box. It's not all for me, like the stuff for curly hair, but that's okay. The value of the box is amazing, and I've found there's usually someone in my life who would love the thing that I don't. If you use it for nothing else, FabFitFun will have you set for secret Santa and hostess gifts for years to come. And it is now time to customize your fall box. Sign up today and receive your first box and join a community of over 1 million women who are already obsessed. Use coupon code WFLT10, that's WFLT10, for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com. That's $10 off your first box with code WFLT10. Visit www.fabfitfun.com. With Friends Like These is brought to you by KiwiCo. I admit, I don't know what it's like to have kids at home all the time. I have heard my sister-in-law talk about it, though, and so I've tried to help out. I give her, or really her kids, KiwiCo boxes. I've been talking about this for a little while. I give them to my nieces and nephews. I kind of mix it up, science boxes, art boxes, and I've racked up so much goodwill from her that she has not once commented on any of my Instagram posts that are about social justice or when I use profanity. That's how much she likes these boxes. That's how good they are. That's the favor that I have done her. Are there kids in your life that could use fun? Are there parents in your life that could use some relief? They can get some cool hands-on science and art projects delivered to their door every month. And what kid doesn't like to get mail? Do your part to encourage children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. And when they're finished, watch their confidence be as big as their smile. Now, I think I have heard that it is hard for parents to continue to be creative and find new things for kids to do as they're home during this challenging time. KiwiCo is there to help. They have done the legwork for you, so you can just focus on spending quality time tackling the projects together. There's no commitment. You can pause or cancel any time. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Now, you can get a month free on select crates at kiwico.com slash friends. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash friends. No more ads. Back to the show. He showed us some of his unconventional techniques like touch therapy, in which he encourages Rob to seek out same-sex mentors to basically recreate a healthy father-son bond. It's non-sexual it establishes like parent-child relationship. So he didn't experience this growing up with his dad. Rob, do you feel a sexual connection right now? No, I don't. I feel very safe and very comforted. And um, it just feels wonderful. As that clip illustrates, conversion therapy is still around, though 19 states have recognized that applying it to children is basically child abuse, and have made it illegal. But evangelicals still try to pray the gay away, and this is what surprised me. 
there are still mainstream therapists who will support patients who wish to change their sexual orientation. And as long as they do not promise or try to compel a specific outcome, they are following the official guidance of the APA. In 2007, the APA convened a task force to look into the science, or lack of science, around becoming straight. It may have been a response to the persistence of the idea of conversion therapy. One of the APA's goals was to address the therapeutic concerns of mental health professionals whose clients continued to seek reorientation of their sexuality. After two years of reviewing the literature and conducting interviews, the task force response was not, well, you should help those clients become comfortable with their sexuality and not want to change it anymore. It was this, as Tom puts it. There, I mean, there still is this fringe group, right, that's still doing this work to try to change people. But, um, but in the mainstream, like mainstream therapists, um, uh, you know, it depends on their orientation, their, their therapeutic orientation. Um, some people might uh, uh, encourage you as a client to just accept your feelings and identify with them in whatever direction that they are. Uh, but um, the American Psycho- Psychological Association has a set of guidelines on what they call uh, sexual orientation identity exploration, in which they um, claim that therapists should not impose an identity on a client, that therapists should uh, help a client to recognize their feelings and then to explore possible identity options uh, along with those. And but recognizing that their feelings are like not likely to change through some kind of effortful intervention. The official APA literature puts it this way. The therapist should provide acceptance, support and understanding of clients and the facilitation of clients active coping, social support and identity exploration and development without imposing specific sexual orientation identity outcomes. But. What does that look like in real life? But it involves uh, uh, often clients who have conflict between their religious values and their, uh, and their feelings, right? I think it involves learning to accept those feelings as natural, as, uh, as um, normal. And, um, but then also exploring the weight of one's uh, religious values often uh, in relation to those feelings. So uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the guidelines from the American Psychological Association do uh, offer um, options, one being depending on the relative importance of religious values or sexual feelings to the client. So if a client you know, comes from an extremely religious background and that, that religious background is really very important to their identity, they may uh, advise that person to... Uh, or might support that person in their pursuit pursuit of a heterosexual identity, recognizing that their same-sex feelings may never change. And now we've come full circle. Because the reason this advice exists is because the original practitioners of conversion therapy, conservative religious leaders, are still out there, obviously. The reason why the APA had to offer this advice is that some people are still in communities or situations where they feel like their sexual orientation interferes with their other relationships. 
So think back to Richard and Charles, the loss of that closeness. What if someone decided that his relationship with his dad or with his family in general was so important to him that it was okay if he wasn't gay, or at least that he didn't want to be gay? I confess, this screams wrong to me. Wrong because it should be that the community or situation changes, right? Not the person. Aren't we just back in the land of penis strain testing and testicle grafts if we allow the circumstances to dictate how a person expresses their identity? Sexual orientation is who someone is. If they can't express that, then aren't we doing some kind of violence to that person? Here's some pushback from Tom. I think that this uh, this idea that there are gay people that are born this way and straight people that are born this other way is kind of a artifact of the struggle against conversion therapy because all the time when uh, conversion therapy was uh, uh, dominant, people were trying to assert this this biological determinism argument about homosexuality and um, This kind of idea, uh, Suzanne Suzanne DeNuto-Walters has a great argument about this in the book, The Tolerance Trap, that to say that, um, to respond to conversion therapy by saying that we're born gay, we can't help it, is in a sense to kind of devalue same-sex eroticism. So let's just follow his line of thought. What if, as he suggested, allowing people to pick their sexual orientation out of their own free will, or at least change it over time, is okay, if that's what the person wants. What if, for instance, we wanted to allow people to experience same-sex attraction and act on it without having to call themselves anything? Uh, You know, whether it's believed to be caused by a gene or by a hormone concentration in utero or whatever it is, devalues same-sex sexuality. And I think... uh, uh, you know, uh, I talk about this in my book, The Straight Line, which is about this history of conversion therapy and the response to it, uh, that, you know, we might consider instead of trying to fight for rights for gay people who are born that way, that can't help it, that we might fight for rights for everyone to have same, to have relationships with whatever gender, you know, that they want to, because there might be something valuable about same-sex eroticism, as opposed to just something that we can't help. And that is it for the show. We are almost to the end of the season, so you can continue to give feedback, but I'll tell you a secret. We're going to do another themed season in a few weeks. I won't tell you what it is. You'll have to stay tuned. But please do stay tuned. And please take care of yourselves. <laughs>